Would you take your Bible with me and turn to John chapter 14? While you're doing that, kids, ages 3 and 4, you can head to the back. Kalen's standing back there. He'll take you up to your classroom this morning. John chapter 14. We're going to be considering a handful of verses this morning. Verses 18 through 31. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 18. And we'll conclude at the end of the chapter in verse 31. The trajectory of our time this morning will culminate in the Lord's table, as you see set before you. So even as we're studying and considering what the Holy Spirit says to us through the Apostle John here in this text, be considering in your own heart and preparing to receive the elements in remembrance of who Jesus Christ is. John chapter 14, I'm going to begin in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. When my kids were small, and the twins are still this way a little bit, and Sersha definitely is this way, um, they greet me at the door when I come home. When I make it home from work or from somewhere, they greet me at the door and they're excited to see me. And it was one of the joys of being a dad is to have your children greet you when you get home. The dog always does it, but the kids, is, it's extra special. When I come home, they're extremely excited to see me. And to them, I've been gone a really long time because eight hours in their lifetime is a huge percentage. But even though it's just been a few hours, it's amazing. We hug, we say hello. I tell them that they've mi- I've missed them and that they tell me that they've missed me. But as we look at John chapter 14 and begin considering what's happening in the hearts of the disciples. We have to ask ourselves the questions or even begin to think to ourselves, what happens if we don't come home? 
What happens if I didn't make it home, if I didn't open that door? Or if Rebecca and I left on date night and we wound up being killed in a car accident? Our children would be left as orphans. Their lives would be radically different if we didn't walk back through that door at 8 p.m. Now that's a terrible thing to think about. That's a terrible thing to think about. But if we put ourselves in the position of the disciples here in John chapter 14, this is where their mind has gone. Will we be left alone? Jesus is going away. He keeps saying this to us. He is going away. What does that mean for us? Will we be left to ourselves indefinitely? Will we be separated forever from this man we've spent so much time with? Who we've grown to believe is the Messiah. Who we've grown to believe is God himself. Why would he leave us now? Is he as good as we think he is? Is this some cruel providence? Jesus tells them he is going away. And last week we saw that Jesus made three promises to his disciples in the midst of the, in the trouble that they were experiencing. In the midst of the turmoil that came from the understanding that he was leaving them. Jesus speaks these promises to his disciples to comfort troubled hearts. These promises... He promised that he would always be, that they would always be of use for kingdom purposes. He promised that he would always hear their prayers. And he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent to them and he would be with them, the Holy Spirit that is, forever. And so in this passage, in 18 through 31, we see more comforts and more promises coming our way. Understanding in the wake of the uh, realization that Jesus is leaving, he presents them with more promises, more comforts. And Jesus reiterates in verse 27 what he started talking about in the beginning of chapter 14. If you look at the first verse in chapter 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. And then in verse 27, in the text that we just read, that second half of that verse, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So as we consider these, con- these comforts, as we consider what Jesus speaks to troubled hearts here, the troubled hearts of his disciples, there are three things that will guide our time this morning as we look at these verses. The first is our union with Christ. The second is the litmus test of love. And then finally, Jesus' gift of peace. So look at the beginning of our text this morning, right out of the gate. The first thing I want you to see is our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. Maybe that's a phrase that you're familiar with. Maybe it's not. Union with Christ, I think, is maybe one of the most neglected doctrines in, by Christians in modern times. And I think many Christians in our day and age struggle to see how God's word is relevant for all of their life because this doctrine is not regularly 
communicated. And this idea is going to become incredibly important as we work our way into chapter 15, into chapter 16, and into chapter 17. The idea of union with Christ is going to come up time and time again. I really want us to think more about this concept this morning because it has already been introduced in John's gospel, but we have an opportunity here to, uh, to understand it more fully based on what Jesus says here. So if you grabbed a worship folder this morning, you're going to see this definition in that outline. You'll see, uh, you'll see it there, so go ahead and circle it or highlight it somehow so that you can think about and consider it these week, this week and think about the way in which this works itself out in Scripture. I'm going to give you my definition of union with Christ. Union with Christ is understanding that all who are joined to Christ by faith receive all of the benefits of belonging to Christ. I'm going to say that again. Union with Christ is the understanding that all who are joined to Christ by faith receive all of the benefits of belonging to Christ. These benefits are not received through our own work or anything innate, but these benefits are granted to all who believe in the person and work of Jesus. Again, these benefits are, do not come to us through our work or anything that is within us, but our benefits are granted to all who believe in the person and work of Jesus. I'm using the word benefits, and I'm using that specifically here. These benefits include and all things pertaining to salvation. Our forgiveness of sin, our right standing before God, our holiness, our set-apartness. And this means that all Christ has for all of eternity is also ours. It belongs to us in him. Everlasting, unsnatchable life. Never-ending security. Eternal joy and peace. And it means that we will never not be the recipients of God's love. It means that for all who are in Christ, we will always be the recipients of God's love and we will never be the recipients of God's wrath. Being joined together with Christ means that all of the benefits of Christ, belonging to Christ, are also ours. We could go on and talk about all of these benefits this morning, but we're going to, uh, like I said, over the next several chapters in John, we're going to think about this idea a lot. And the question, are you familiar with this truth? Because let me give you maybe an access into it if this is unfamiliar to you. If the definition that I just shared with you is something that's outside of, of your thought or things that you have been taught in the past, um, I want to just give you an example. So the world hints at this all of the time. There's something in us, I think in every person, that desires to be joined to something bigger than themselves. To be part of something that's outside of them that gives them meaning or purpose. But in our society that has disintegrated into making the individual the center of the universe, truth and a personal thing, union with Christ becomes not very popular. It becomes a doctrine that is neglected and it's not without cause that it's neglected because of what our culture emphasizes. So here's the example. Do you remember The Lion King? Of course you remember The Lion King. The best Disney movie. Do you remember when adult Simba 
meets Rafiki. And Rafiki takes Simba to the pool of water. And he tells him to look into the pool of water. Now, Simba has been running from his past, right? You know this. Simba's been running from his past, running from who he really is. He's the king. And since the day that his dad died, he's been running. And Simba looks in the pool of water and he only sees his reflection. And Rafiki tells him to look harder. And then Simba sees his dad. And he realizes that he's part of a legacy of something bigger than just himself. He sees that he is connected to something that gives him more purpose than he could ever give to himself. We know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to want to have meaning and purpose and to say, does my life matter? Is it important that I'm here? And so we're constantly looking to be joined to something that gives us purpose, that gives us meaning. And we look for that in many places. We look for it in our family. Maybe we try to find it with our last name. We look for it in our work. We look for it in our education. You get the idea. But these things, they come and they go. They come and they go. And we're left looking in the mirror and seeing only our reflection. This is where the doctrine of the union with Christ comes into play. The doctrine of the union with Christ has defined all of church history and really been important for the last 500 years. Although, like I said, I think it's been neglected in recent times. But it's littered throughout the New Testament. And we find it in our passage in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. If you have a Bible in front of me, if not, open it up. In that day you will know I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is union with Christ. Joined to Christ. And the most important word, the most important word for our understanding our relationship to God isn't love. It isn't forgiveness. Instead, it's a simple preposition. Two letters. I-N-N. In In Christ. It's only in Jesus that we have love and forgiveness. Apart from Christ, Jesus is going to say this in the very next chapter, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. In Christ defines the believer. Look at verse 20 again. You see that preposition three times. In Uh, I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. And the phrase in Christ and the equivalents have hundreds of occurrences in the New Testament. And so what is the Holy Spirit communicating to us as we see this language repeated over and over and over again in the New Testament? John read from Galatians this morning. Let me go there quick. Because you're going to, I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 3. Again, if you have your Bible in front of you, go ahead and flip over there. 
It's not too far. To the right. Now before faith came, we were, this is beginning in chapter, in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. How is it that we are sons of God? We are joined to Christ by faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. I mean, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from the slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way we were also, or in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons through faith. Sons of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, those who are joined to Christ are sons of God. In our text today, we are meant to realize that our future is secure in Jesus. We are joined to Jesus Christ, and so our future and the promises about what's coming next, what's coming in the future, are secure in Jesus. Jesus will return, and he will accomplish all the future tense promises he has made. And we are secured in the Father because He is in us. We will not be left as orphans. 8 p.m. will not roll around and He will will walk through that door. Jesus lives. And so we will live. He says this at the end of verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. How can He guarantee that unless we are joined to Him? We are in Christ. And for our comfort, we are given this incredible promise that Jesus will come back for us. There is no chance that he doesn't make it back. No chance that he doesn't make it back. It is through him that we have our connection to the Father and he promises that he will not leave us to become orphans, cut off from our Heavenly Father, but secured in him for all of eternity. Again, we're going to talk about this as we work our way the rest of the way through John. And if this idea of union with Christ is something that is, we're going to see, again, many more examples here. But now, just for now, consider what John Murray writes in his book, Redemption, Accomplished and Applied. Why does the believer entertain the thought of God's determinate counsel with such joy? 
Why can he have patience in the perplexities and adversities of the present? Why can he have confident assurance with reference to the future and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? It is because he cannot think of a past, present, or future apart from his from union with Christ. Believers who understand that they are joined with Christ understand that they can receive all that God brings in their life with joy. When things around you seem confusing and strange, we can rejoice because we are joined to Christ. And all of the benefits belonging to Him also belong to us. Why can we have confident assurance that everything that Jesus has promised us for the future will in fact come to pass? Because we are joined to Christ. He's there already. He's there already at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning, and He will invite us into that and has already made it so. Okay, so we're going to continue to touch on this idea, but I want to introduce it because it's this theme that's going to run through at least chapter 17. But I want us now to consider the next point. The first point this morning, our union with Christ, and the second second idea here, the litmus test of love, which is, I'm just going to give you the answer, our obedience. The litmus test of love is our obedience. Look at verse 21 with me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will be loved by him and manifest myself to him. Now look at verse 23, after Judas, not Iscariot, asks this question. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now go back to verse 15, not part of our passage this morning, but something we looked at together last week. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's evident that Jesus doesn't want us to miss this point. It's evident that Jesus wants us to see this clearly. He says it three times in relatively quick succession over the course of nine verses. How can we be, last week we talked about the promises of God, the promises Jesus makes to his disciples about usefulness. How can we be of use to God? We answered that question last week, but let's answer it again. The answer is simple. Put on love for him, put our love for him on display by keeping the commands of Christ. Last week we mentioned this is the starting point for all of the amazing things that happen in the book of Acts. The spread of the gospel that over a few short years goes from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And then across the whole earth. Whenever we see people and cultures impacted deeply by the gospel in history, it starts by simple obedience to what God has commanded us in his word and prayer. In verse 26, Jesus again speaks about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, he now calls him the Holy Spirit. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
This is the third person of the Trinity. This is God himself that proceeds from the Father and proceeds from the Son. And Jesus reveals two ways in which the Holy Spirit helps in the life of the believer. Now, sometimes when we read this verse, we forget the context. And so I want to pay special attention to what Jesus has just said to us uh, in verses 18 through 24. So when we get to verse 26, uh, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there are two things that Jesus reveals to us about the way that the Holy Spirit is going to help in the life of the believer. Again, he calls him the Helper. It's probably in your Bible with a capital H. He calls him the Helper. First, Jesus says, he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will teach the believer all things. What does Jesus mean by all things? He's talking about the reality that Jesus or that the Holy Spirit will teach us obedience to God's word in every way. So, the Holy Spirit comes to us for the purpose in order that we might be instructed on how to how to adhere to Jesus's commands, thereby displaying love for him in every situation. We get that from the context because of verse 15, because of verse uh, 23, and because of verse 21, where Jesus reiterates three times, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The Holy Spirit instructs the believer, teaches us obedience to God's word in every situation. Then secondly, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Another essential component to obedience. The Holy Spirit is given to us to bring to our mind the word of God. In verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And the Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. This can be as simple as recalling a Bible verse in any given situation, but what Jesus really wants his disciples to know here, according to the context, is that when they face persecution in the, for the sake of the gospel, like they're going to over and over and over again when we get to the book of Acts, even when their lives are threatened, they will remember and be assured of the truth causing them to persevere. What is the truth that causes believers to persevere and endure being slandered and maligned for the sake of the gospel? It's the Holy Spirit bringing to mind the words of Christ. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And by bringing to mind all that he has said to us, he will spark obedience that Jesus has freed us into. So when we display love for Jesus through simple obedience and the world reviles us, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us to remain obedient and to keep God's word close in our minds so that we will not waver. Let me say that again. When we display love for Jesus through simple obedience to his commands, the world and the world reviles us for it. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us to remain obedient and to keep God's word close in our minds so that we will not waver. 
Friends, this is the litmus test of love that Jesus gives us in this passage. And so the question for us is, is this how we think about love for Jesus? Brothers and sisters, are you scouring God's word, seeking to better understand Christ's commands? It's really hard to walk in obedience to something that you do not know. It's really hard to love something that you do not know. And so it's really important that we know our Bibles, that we read our Bibles individually and together with other believers to know what God requires of us as his people. Friends, these requirements don't earn us salvation. Obedience to these commands demonstrate that we have already been saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by our obedience, but we are saved for obedience. Obedience is required of those who are part of Christ's kingdom. How do you know that you belong to Christ? How do you know that you are in Him, joined to Him by faith? We'll discover more in in chapter 15. We bear the fruit of obedience. Our lives give evidence to the reality that we belong to Christ and not to ourselves. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism asks this. If you're not familiar with what a catechism is, a catechism is the summary of doctrines of Christianity delivered in the forms of question and answers, uh, which are helpful tools for training children or adults alike. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, what is our only comfort in life and death? The answer, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Here it is. But because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Brothers and sisters, is this how you think about your love for Christ? You think about your love for Jesus as obedience to his word. Our union with Christ the litmus test of love. Finally, this morning in this passage, we see Jesus' gift of peace. Look with me at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The rest of the New Testament if we think about it, if we see the the events that unfold for the rest of the New Testament, the letters that Paul wrote from prison, again, the the events of the book book of Acts where the disciples go out and preach the gospel, are beaten and imprisoned, and then preach the gospel and are beaten and imprisoned, over and over and over again, shipwrecked, maligned, slandered. even killed. 
These were the common experiences of the men who were receiving these words in the upper room from Jesus. These experiences were, were common to all 11 of these men who remained in this room. Peace is one of the gifts that Jesus left to the believer. Not health, not wealth, not power, not ease of life, not comfort, but peace. This peace comes through the confident realization that you belong to Christ and are in Him. And this is where our understanding of being joined to Christ by faith becomes so important. How can we have this peace if our ties to Christ are loose? If they're held by something that we do. We sang during our worship time, musical worship time, He will hold me fast. Because it's the reality that Jesus, back in chapter 10, says that there is nothing that can snatch you out of the Father's hand. There is nothing that can snatch you out of my hand. It is He who holds us. Not we who hold ourselves in place. It is He who holds us fast. Joined to Christ. Promised peace. Because this peace comes through confident realization that we belong to Christ and that we are in Him. Our world is marked by fear. Jesus says that we should not let our hearts be troubled or let them be afraid. Our fears stem from many things in our world. The economy, our work, our family, the political climate, you name it. But our fears are regularly attached to things that we love and don't want to lose. And Jesus' promises are so certain that we should not fear. If it is He that we love most, we should not be afraid. Because whatever happens around us in this earthly realm cannot disrupt the peace that Jesus promises us for all of eternity. We cannot lose Him. He will not deliver. He will never not deliver on the promises He made to us. I could have said that without a double negative. It would have been better. He will always deliver on the promises He made to us. Whether we can see it or not. Jesus is always faithful and our life is always secured in Him and without any ifs, ands, or buts. This peace that He promises you can have nowhere else. Peace in your conscience that your sin is not counted against you. Peace in your heart that God has secured your life for all of eternity. Peace in the face of difficulty and adversity that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Peace, understanding that you are no longer under the wrath of God. That those things that you should pay for, those things that rightfully belong to you, have been taken on to Christ. That there is nothing There is not one drop of God's wrath that will fall upon you 
Because you are in Christ. You are in the one who has already paid for all of your sin. He has already defeated death. The sting of death is behind you. You don't need to fear dying. Jesus Christ defeated death. Your life is secure in him. You have more life than you could possibly ever imagine. Jesus, the infinite well of life, has brought you into and joined you to himself. If you think of life eternal, we say that. We say things, maybe you're sharing the gospel, you, you want eternal life. Where does that come from? How is that possible? Because our lives just go on for 80-ish trips around the sun and then they're done. How is it possible that we can have eternal life? Because we are joined to the one, the infinite well of life. You're plugged in. You're connected. You abide in Him. Jesus meets all of our fears head on and gives us peace. Because all that you long for and all that you wish you had and everything that you think will satisfy you and everything that you are afraid to lose, Jesus satisfies with all of Himself forever. We're going to go to the Lord's table. As we think about coming and receiving these elements, broken body, shed blood, the bread, the grape juice. Remember the words about Jesus in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The chastisement, the punishment for our sin fell to Jesus, not to us. It should have fallen to you. It should have fallen to me. We were conceived into sin and we willingly walked into sin. But Jesus was sacrificed in our place so that we would have peace. No longer at odds with God, but right there with Him. How can Jesus leave us peace? And to find the answer, we look to the cross. How can Jesus leave us with peace? How can he promise what he promises here? We look to the cross. The promise of peace could not be had apart from Christ's substitutionary sacrifice. Sacrifice in your place. If Jesus did not go to the cross, you and I could have no assurance of peace. We could have no assurance of our standing before God. We would Is this enough? Did I do enough? Did I sacrifice enough? Did I make things right? Did I screw it all up? Maybe you're in that sort of turmoil even this morning. 
Maybe you're wondering how you, what it's like, what, what is my standing before God? And the answer is to look to the cross. How can we, how can Jesus leave us this peace? We look to the cross. The substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus means that everything that should have come to you went to him. And you can then be assured that because he did, you can be assured, you can be comforted, you can not be afraid. All that we have and all that we need is found in Christ. If you're in Christ, listen, if you are in Christ, it's impossible to be cast off. If you are joined to Christ by faith, it is impossible to be cast off. You are guaranteed to be welcomed in as a son. If you don't know this peace, come to Christ. If you long to be joined to something bigger than yourself, if you long to be joined to something that will give you purpose and meaning and cause your life to matter, if you long to be joined to something, if you long to to have this peace and not wonder if you're doing good enough, come to Christ. Trust in Christ. Believe in Him as the only way to have your sin forgiven. Positive affirmations won't save you. Understanding the world or yourself better won't save you. You can't accumulate enough information to save you. Your hard work won't save you. It's only Christ who can give you life and peace. Come to Him by faith and you will be joined to Him. And secured for all of eternity. Friends, Jesus will come back again. He will not leave us alone as orphans. We rejoice because Jesus has gone to the Father and will one day return. And the Lord's table reminds us of that great day. A great day where we will feast together. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where Jesus will call us all home and we'll sit around a giant banquet table. A glorious feast. Be comforted, brothers and sisters. In Christ, you will one day be with the Father. And while you wait, Jesus has left you peace, knowing that the day will come beyond the shadow of a doubt. So this morning, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, do it in remembrance of what he has done for you. Paul in 1 Corinthians writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after, the su- after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the Lord's death until he returns, knowing that the, the promises that Jesus has made us, the promise that he will not leave us as orphans, will in fact come to fruition. Guaranteed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we come to the table this morning, recognizing that Jesus has made us right with God through the broken body and his shed blood. As you come this morning, 
remember the things that we've talked about. Think on the reality that God has welcomed you into his family through the person of Jesus Christ. And there is no other way to be welcomed into his family outside of Jesus Christ and coming to him by faith. This is something that we do regularly together as Buffalo City Church. We, we approach the Lord's table and receive these elements. Know that this morning that these things are for those who have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins. These are not things for those who have not yet done so. So prepare your hearts and prepare your minds and understand that in Christ, this is for you. If you're not sure where you stand with God, if you're not sure about the things that we've talked about this morning, I would love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to know more about about what you think about what has been said this morning. I'd love to have a dialogue. Parents, we always say this. If your kids have made a credible profession of faith, invite them to participate together with you at the Lord's table. But if that is yet to come, go ahead and use this as a simple opportunity as as they abstain. Use this as a simple opportunity to communicate the truth of the gospel with them. You don't have to be a member here to, to take the Lord's Supper. We do ask you that you would be a faithful attender of this church or another one that preaches the same gospel as, as we do. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come forward. And when you're prepared in your hearts, come down to the table, grab the elements. You can head back to your seat and take them in your own time. God, we thank you this morning for the truth that we see in your word. God, we thank you that we have been joined to Christ. Those who have trusted Christ have been joined to Christ. That all the benefits that go to him then come to us. God, we thank you that we are not holding ourselves in that position, but it is Jesus that holds us there. God, so this morning as we approach the Lord's table, would we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for us? God, would our hope of the return of Jesus be solidified and secured, and would we look forward to the day when he does, in fact, return? God, we thank you for these things. God, would you cause our hearts to be comforted? God, would you cause us not to be afraid? Would everything that we long for, would we seek in Christ and him alone? God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things this morning. Amen.